week on Murren and Bold, we discuss Central Michigan's 31-15 loss to rival Western Michigan, and we also talk about the Central Michigan volleyball team off to a hot start. What's up, everyone? Welcome back. This is Maroon and Bold. I'm your host, Evan Petzold, the sports editor. Alongside with me, though, assistant sports editor, Austin Chastain. We were both at Waldo Stadium in Kalamazoo. We saw the 31-15 loss. And I guess, you know, Austin, I normally ask you about your day or the week or how things are going, but I just need a, an initial reaction on, on losing 31-15. And what were your thoughts on that? It was it was a decent game. Uh, I, I in the grand scheme of things, um, Central Michigan didn't look as great as it needed to. Um, you know, moving the ball in between the twenties was fantastic, uh, but finishing drives, man. I know we're. I'm sure we're going to get into it in just a second, but you got to be able to finish those drives. Yeah, I mean, I thought John Wasink, uh, specifically his deep ball was off, and that's something that he he does a good job as um, at quarterback for the Broncos, and, and his deep ball wasn't there. And I think that was kind of one of the biggest things that Central Michigan should have been able to capitalize on is the fact that there were multiple times where he overthrew receivers and, and he had them open downfield and, and just missed them. And it was he just flat out missed them. But I, but I think the nice thing about it was, um, you know, they didn't get beat by the deep ball. And that was something that other teams have been able to do against the Chippewas a lot this year is really just throw it over those corners just based off the fact that they are so young. Um, that's kind of my first reaction was, you know, Wassing didn't have the deep ball, which is the best part of his game, and they still won. I think that says a lot about the Broncos and really what their team is is made of. But yeah, I mean, looking at what you mentioned, you know, finishing drives and being able to capitalize on opportunities. I mean, you saw it so so many times. Listen, man, like David Moore was was 33 of 48 for 330 yards, a touchdown and, and he had two picks, but I mean, if you're 33 for 48 for 330 yards, you are moving the football. I mean, that's 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 obvious just based off of the numbers and when you have a running back that was over 100 yards on the ground, that shows you are moving the ball. And I, and I think that's something that, you know, Central Michigan has to realize is, listen, like even though we didn't get the win, even though it looks sloppy based on the mistakes and some of the play calling, like we still move the ball against against Western Michigan. And I get that their defense isn't the greatest, but that's got to kind of bring some sort of sunlight to a, to a gloomy day, right? Right, because, I mean, if you – if uh, let's go – I keep harping on last year, and I hate to do it, but if you look at this at this game last year, let's just envision it. CMU doesn't move, didn't move the ball worth anything last year, right? Uh, and it was able to move the ball, like you said, really, really well, except for the last 20 yards of the field. Like, mm-hmm. mo- the moving of the ball, I mean, that's, that's obviously it's critical in, a, mm-hmm. in the game of football, but they were able to do it and, and looked pretty good doing it. Yeah, and, and here's the other thing, too. I think, you know, from – our standpoint as reporters, we can sit back and look at, at Jim McElwain's decision to go forward on fourth down twice in the first uh, twice in the first half and say like, "Come on, what are you doing, man?" Um, you know, obviously, you know those two times he he failed on on fourth down, and it's easy to say, you know, kind of what the heck, why take the points, come on, but at the same time, like I understand both sides of it too because. If you're CMU, you know that you're – I mean, if you're Jim McElwain, maybe not CMU, but if you're Jim McElwain, you know you weren't supposed to win this game. You know you're the underdog. You know it's a rivalry, and you know how much a win would mean. So I understand kind of the aspect of being able to to bet on yourself in a way and trying to take that and 
and you know pick up a first down that way you can go and, and eventually score but then you know when you look at the fact that they weren't able to execute it you kind of wonder well damn you should have taken the points right so I see both sides do it I think that's probably one of the things that was the that kind of first jumped out to me really first jumped out to me was what the heck why why didn't we go for why why, why didn't CMU take the points and I know they, you know, they went for they went for it on fourth down in the first half three times. Um, you know, Jonathan Ward was able to to get the job done um, in the in the second quarter and one of the drives. And, and later in that same drive, though, they needed it again, and and they went to Kobe Lewis and he didn't get the job done. But I guess what what are your thoughts on that? Because I'm kind of indifferent at this point on was it worth it? Was it not? Would you have done it if you were the coach? At first, I would have said, dude, I, take the points easy. Mm-hmm. You you got a, a Lou Garza watch list guy in Ryan Tice who's got an absolute cannon for a leg and he's sure kicker I mean he's what I think four of five or five of six this year he's only missed once right exactly he's only missed once and that was from 54 yards out then he went made one from 55 so it's like you know you know you're gonna get three points from Ryan Tice but at the same time like that's that's what the stats would say Mm -hmm. the analytics as our, our guy Steve Kuhn would say, you you want to you know stick to the analytics. That's why we have it. But at the same time, you want to try to break the mold and 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 get the momentum. At first, like I said, I was like, "What the hell are you doing?" Mm-hmm. And now that I think about it a little bit more, I'm like, you know, good for you to have some guts. That's what you're getting paid to do. Have some guts. Obviously, you didn't. <laughs> You rolled the dice and you, you you didn't take the pot. Yeah, I, I think one that they definitely should have let Tice kick um kick on was essentially it was in what was it the with the beginning of the second quarter and and Tice kind of got off the bench confidently um, and, and assumed his position on the field. I mean they were ready to go and, and ready to kick and it would have been a 62 yard attempt and, and at the last minute McElwain changes his mind and, and pulls Tice off the field in place of Brady Buell and. I mean, we talked to Tice a while ago, and, and not even a while ago, probably, what, three weeks ago or so, and he, he said, listen, McIlwain will let me kick from 63 yards, and that would have been a 62-yard attempt. He said, with no win in good conditions, 63. Now, there was win at his back that would have helped him out. I mean, I think that's one where you definitely got to let him kick the ball from 63. In a game like that where you know I need points and I'm not in scoring position to try to you know put a touchdown on the board – in a situation like that, I think you really got to go for it. But at the same time, I see the other side, and I will. I'm not going to absolutely slam Jim McElwain for some of these decisions, but I do see the other side of it, though. You know, you, you miss the kick, and, and what, they get the ball right there, and, and they're about to march down and score, right? I mean, it. Or, you know, something goes bad, and there's a, there's a bad snap or something like that, or, you know, who knows? And then, look, Western's right there, and they basically would just walk into the end zone on you. So I do see both sides of it, but. I mean, from a realistic standpoint, I think – I mean, even if you think about it, man, like if you if you kick all those field goals and you you at least for sure get the two field goals that you know Tice is going to make automatically, right? And then you give him the chance at the 62 and maybe he makes the 62-yarder, you've got a 17-9 game at halftime. Exactly. Like, isn't that approach so much different going into the locker room when you're down 17-9 rather than 17-0, isn't that like changing everything, your whole approach to the second half? It's got to change, right? Because it's not desperation. It's, all right, we just got to score a touchdown, and and we're right there in this thing. Exactly, and that that that's the exact mindset that you would have in a situation like that is we're, we're right there. We are in this ball game. 
And uh, every, coaches will say, oh, we're down 17 nothing at halftime. We're still in the game. Mm-hmm. No, you're not. Uh, let's be honest. Like The way Western looked in that first half, uh, Central was was not really... I'll agree to disagree, but... Outside of moving the ball well, I mean, like just the, the turnovers and the, the sloppy play, all the penalties, my God. And again, something I'm sure we'll talk about here in a little bit, but the penalties... Yeah, but that was on both sides of the ball. Oh, right, yeah. It was just, a, think, it was just a slop, sloppy game in general. But I don't think you can say that if you're down 17 nothing at halftime, you're out of the game. But I think if you're... I think I mean, and I, we can agree to disagree on that. That's sure. fine. But I, I, I mean, I just think, listen, if... If you're down seventeen nothing, you're not out of the game because you know you score two touchdowns and it's seventeen fourteen and you got a ball game. You're right. not you're not out of anything. And the way that Western is moving the ball, I get what you're saying, but at the same time, Central was also moving the ball pretty well at that point. They just got down to to situations where they had fourth and one or fourth and three, and they decided to go for it, and it didn't work out. Now maybe what maybe three three four times out of ten that works. And, and maybe they do punch a touchdown in. I mean, and, and I guess you can play the if, and, but, or what game. But the fact of the matter is you were down 17 nothing at halftime. But I don't think that means you were out of it at all, really. Uh, yeah, no, I, I agree. I You know, I, I'll, I'll retract my statement to a degree um, because just just the way, like you because said. Because two way, touchdowns, you're, you're in the game and right, you got a ball game. But at the same time, that's that's two touchdowns that you have to go and score quickly. And well, not not necessarily quickly, but two touchdowns that you have to score without allowing Western to score. Yeah, and I think that was that's kind of the the note there, and I like that that you touched on that was. Listen, I mean, come on, I mean, are you really going to be able to to hold Western? And they, I mean, they did do it though. I mean, they yeah that opening I mean, drive. really that opening drive that Western had in the second half. Um, you know, Tim Lester, their their head coach, a lot you know elected to go for it on fourth and two. Just 15 yards away from the end zone, and and you know Levante Bellamy, their senior star running back, was was stopped for no gain. So I guess, granted, they didn't see him; he didn't score on the next drive. But granted, it, I think too, if you have if you're if you're down 17-9 and you get a huge fourth down stop, it's I mean I feel like just different. the whole mentality of the game has changed because it's not there isn't a, there isn't an emergency going off in your head. The lights of like, all right, we got to score, or like. And I understand what you were saying before too about like you do have time, you know, even down seventeen zero, you do have time to to mount that. We'll just call it a comeback because you know we'll call it a comeback. But you have time to be able to do something like that, right? But I think at the same time, there is still a panic mode in your head that says, "All right, like every time we don't score, that's one less drive that we get, and that makes it just that much more difficult." Now, if the score is seventeen six. And you get that big fourth down stop. What's what's the thought process there? Is it really is there really as much urgency? I mean, the game's still close, so you don't feel like you have to go score immediately. Yeah, you'd like to, but if you don't, it's not like oh shit, there was another drive that we just absolutely wasted, and and we're getting less and less opportunities as the game goes on. Do you do you agree with that? Oh, totally, totally. Because it seventeen six. I mean, assuming you know. You take those field goals. One touchdown makes it a one-point game. It doesn't matter exactly. when you score that touchdown. Exactly. It really doesn't. Or you know, you go for the two-point conversion and you have a tie game. Exactly. And you know, if if you don't if you don't commit a turnover, you're you're sure if you even if you punt. So let's let's say that you stop Bellamy on that on that fourth down, seventeen six, and you have to punt the ball away. That's not a that's, that's no big deal. Right. Exactly. That's no big deal. Exactly. And then you put Western in the field position it's supposed to be in. Mm-hmm. Say you know inside the thirty. 
well, just whatever, inside of 25, and then your defense does what it's supposed to do, you're, you'll be fine. And yeah. then you can just you, – you have more time to go score. And you have, you know, you have more field to work with mm-hmm. against Western's offense. I, I don't know. I Simply, man, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, looking at the way that the game kind of unfolded is, you know, we already mentioned John Wasink a little bit, but he was 18 of 29 for 244 yards, a touchdown and an interception. He also, um, you know, he was also able to do it with his legs. And I think that was really impressive to, to me as well, 65 yards and a touchdown um, with his feet. So that that was something that kind of jumped out to me as as impressive. You know, you had Giovanni Ricci, the the tight end, that was able to get the job done. And, and honestly, man, I mean, he's looked so improved from – you know, really last year and the year before, I mean, he's really he's really stepped up. Um, Levante Bellamy, it's your typical Levante Bellamy, you know, type game where the defense obviously was was focused on him. And, you know, he went for 25. He had 25 carries for 105 yards and a touchdown. Granted, I mean, only 25 carries and he picked up 105. But at the same time, I mean, CMU's, CMU's defensive line is pretty good. You know, their, their linebackers have been, have been really impressive this year, specifically, you know, guys like Chuck Jones. And, and I know Michael Oliver, we, we all know about him. But, I mean, Chuck Jones has looked really good. And I think there's been a number of guys at that linebacker room that's, that's been impressive. They did a good job of filling the gaps and shutting them down when needed. I guess really looking at, at Western Michigan and, and what they were able to, to pose, man, I mean, are they a team that can can make a run and really get the job done in the Mid American Conference? I mean, could we see them playing in a in a MAC title game, or is that still is that still kind of out of reach right now? Just knowing knowing where they're at, and, and for note, um, on the road against Toledo, um, you know, this week for for the Broncos, and then they have Miami Ohio at home, and then Eastern on the road, and then Bowling Green and Ball State at home, and then Ohio and NIU on the road. Those games against Toledo and, and Ohio, both on the road, are going to be huge tests for them, and we're going to see one this weekend against uh, against the Rockets. Is that game against Toledo going to kind of tell you if they're going to be able to, to compete in the MAC West and have a shot to win it, or do you think they've already proven that just based off of their performance against CMU and, and then how they were able to hang against Michigan State and, and Syracuse for a little bit? I, I think I think that Toledo game is is the true test, really. I mean, not to say that CMU is the slouch that it was last year. Um, because we were kind of talking about this, Evan. The, the the Chippewas have looked so much better than than they did last year, but there's still growth to be Couldn't had. Get any worse? Yeah, well, no shit. But there's still growth to be had, and there's time for that growth. But that that Western Toledo game in the Glass Bowl, I think, is going to be a real true test for both of those teams. Whoever I think who really whoever wins that game I think is going to be the the Mac West representative in Detroit. Yeah. No, I agree, and and I think too you look at Central. I know you talked about them for a for a hot second there in that sentence, but yeah, I mean coming into this game that that was my that was my thought right was okay. So you you beat Albany, what does that really prove? And you get smacked around by Wisconsin, what does that really prove? You beat an Akron team that. Statistically speaking, right now, just so everybody knows, is the worst team in college football, ranked at 130 of 130 in terms of, of FBS. So the, the win against Akron really shows you absolutely nothing because they are the worst team in college football, and that's a place the Chippewas, Chippewas know what that feels like. But then you also, have, uh, you also have Miami, and you hung with them. But at the same time, what even is Miami like right now? Because they're a team that they were supposed to be really good coming into this year, and you know, Danny Nose says the the new offensive coordinator and Manny Diaz, the defensive minded coach, taking over, and 
you know, they were supposed to be all that and a, and a nice bag of chips, but they haven't turned out to be much of anything, really. I mean, a loss to Florida, and I get it. it was, that was a close loss, but at the same time, you turn around and, and you lose to, to North Carolina, and I understand it was on the road, but let's pump the brakes here. North Carolina, come on, man. They did hang with Clemson, though. But still, you, you, don't, you don't expect Miami to go and, and lose to a North Carolina. That's a game that you think, okay, it might be close, but they'll pull it out, and then they beat Bethune-Cookman, and, and what does that really tell you? Because Bethune-Cookman is Bethune-Cookman. So really, though, like what was this Central Michigan team coming into this week? Nobody knew. Like Nobody had an idea, I feel like. And I know they hung with Clemson. I get it. I get it. I get it. But at the same time, they lost to App State. They lost to Wake Forest. Those, those are games that you shouldn't be losing if you're North Carolina. So I understand maybe they have pieces. Maybe they match up well against some teams. But, dude, I mean, if you're, I mean, losing to to Wake Forest and App State, that doesn't that doesn't bode well for you when you're boasting a resume. I don't even care that you hung close with Clemson. I mean, that you almost take it and say, yeah, that that was a fluke game. And you know what? Maybe the game against Miami was too. But listen, what were they coming into this week? I mean, really though, what did you think about about CMU? I think it's a team still trying to find its identity, and having to shuffle players around with David Moore taking over for Quentin Dormady. You know, you're still trying. I think you're still trying to find your identity. I think that's really what this team is all about. Um, and what, and I, I have no idea even what like signs are saying. Oh, this is what this team is. I, I, I don't know. Is it a, a good team? Maybe. Is it improved? Absolutely. I think coming into this week, you had absolutely no clue what the Chippewas were. You knew that they were a team that could get smacked around by good teams and they could beat bad teams. And then the game against Miami was kind of like a, hey, we can compete. And I think that was the biggest thing coming into, into the game against Western Michigan was the Miami game showed that the team was improved. Okay, don't get me mm-hmm. wrong. That, that, that showed the improvement above everything else. Three, the first three games of the season, just throw them off because they don't matter at this point. The game against Miami, that told you, all right, this team is better than they were last year. But the game against Western was, okay, how are you going to compete against the top of the MAC? And I think the loss showed that they have – they have spurts, right? They had these moments where you said, "Wow, okay, that looks like a really that looks like a really darn good Mid-American Conference team, like a team that can compete with anybody." And then there were also moments where you kind of scratched your head and said, "It kind of reminds me of last year a little bit." And I think that's where they are. I, I think they're truly, I think they're mediocre at, at this point. You know, they are in the middle of the Mid-American Conference in terms of overall talent, but I think they're trying to figure out like what does it take. What do, what do we have to do to be a good and or a great team? I think they know what it takes, but it's like, okay, how do we get there now? Because I, I really do feel like last year they didn't know what it meant to be a great team. They knew what it meant to get smacked around. They, they knew what it, what it meant to, you know, be thrown on the ground and, and filled with mud like a rag doll. Oh, man. But they didn't know what it was like to be a good team because they, were, they, they never – it almost seemed like they never were able to even find, like, a glimmer of hope outside of the defense last year but this year is totally different because you've seen moments where it's like okay wow example the Akron game I get it Akron Akron's garbage but that throw that that throw that David Moore made took a little Pimpleton remember that touchdown pass yeah that that, that laser right over the middle that yeah. laser in the back of the end zone and that's kind of where you're like okay wow that that's a throw that's made by a great quarterback and that's a catch that's made by a great wide receiver so it kind of brings you back to this whole 
there are spurts of being a great team. And I don't care who you're playing against. A throw like that is tough to make. I mean, they, they, those don't happen. So it's examples like that where it kind of just makes you realize, okay, yeah, they're not a great team, but they understand what it takes, and now they're trying to get there, and we've seen spurts of it, and they want it. And I think that that's huge for them. I think that's something that we haven't seen in – we haven't seen since uh, since the 2017 season with with Shane Morris running the offense. Right. No, I completely agree. And you know the the those spurts of greatness. I think if if you can prolong those spurts, I mean, it sounds kind of obvious or almost almost redundant when I say if you can prolong those spurts of greatness, you're gonna find success. But I I like what you were saying. It's this team's kind of right in the middle right in the middle of the Mid-American Conference. And from what I've what I've heard and talking with some fans and stuff, I don't think they're going to be too upset with that. You know, maybe 5-7, and 4-8, and eight, maybe. I think that's kind of your your threshold there. So I've heard some fans say 6-6 six and six or bust, go to a bowl game or bust. I'm like, okay. But, hey, if, if, that's what, that's, if that's what fans want, that's what fans want. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I get what you're saying in that regard. And I think, too, for the Central Michigan team, really, which is where they're at and, and where they need to be, I think one of the maybe the better ways that, that I tried to describe it at least was, um, and I know I, I mentioned this to you earlier, but they were inconsistently impressive. So I, I don't, I don't want to say you're saying they're inconsistent because you know inconsistent can mean so many different things to so many different people. I think inconsistently impressive – is is the best way to put it not not impressively inconsistent but inconsistently impressive just based off the fact that they were they, they have been impressive like they have it's not like they're inconsistent in the in the way that you know they they can't they can't put a drive together one game and then the next game they can and then the next game they can't it's not a game to game thing it it's it's this is an impressive team this is a good group of guys this is a team that can win but they're just in they're just inconsistent at this point right now and it's not even talking about like one game they shut down the next game they're on it's just almost like a a play-by-play situation right because you'll see them string together plays where it's like okay wow they're moving the ball they're using tony polgen over the middle they they look solid and then you know two plays later it's it's kobe lewis is taking it out of the wildcat and getting stuffed for a loss like and you're like okay well where did that come from you were just moving the ball so damn well and and now you can't get a push up front when you need it and i think that that's what it is is inconsistently impressive, if that makes sense. Yeah, are you Does it re- make sense? Yeah. Are you ready for an Austin metaphor? Oh, no. I see it as like a maple tree of greatness, and you just got to just gotta tap to get the syrup, and the syrup is, is that potential, right? You got to tap at it. Well, tap it, harder. Exactly. That's what this team needs to do is they need, they need to tap. Just tap, tap, tap. And then when, once, they get to that, once they get to that syrup, man, you're <laughs> – you're going to be golden. You're you're going to be having pancakes and waffles, and you're going to be right there. You're you're going to be contending for MAC titles. So that the pancakes and waffles should be done in what 2020, 2021. You're thinking? Uh, I I would think so. All right, don't don't let them get moldy on me. All right? Yeah. Well, God, no. Let's we don't not like do we that. don't like moldy food. We don't like moldy anything. Yeah. Exactly. No. The syrup even mold though. I don't. The think syrup so. will be good. The syrup will be really good. Okay, so we just got to make sure that we cook at the right time, right? Right. Cook the yeah. Pancakes and cook the the waffles. Oh yeah. Right, Every, so everything's got to be done at right time. Maybe maybe add a little bacon. Bowl game. Bacon. Bacon's your bowl game, right? I think there's I think there's a like a Ed, Ed, Edridge Farms meets bowl game or something like that. One of the like the 42, 
42 different bowl games that well, they have now. While we're at it, we might as well just do a little bit of, like, dude, I don't even know. We might as well do some hash browns for the Idaho Potato Bowl. Is that Does that work for you? <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. All right, man. What, hey, whatever floats your boat. What is there? Uh, Chick-fil-A, we could just add a little bit. We can just make it a damn buffet. How about that? We'll Let's make it go. A feast. I, can, I could go for some Chick-fil-A. So Central Michigan going to every bowl game this year. No, um, I like the analogy, though. I'm, I'm a big analogy guy. But listen, I know. <laughs> the, point, the point being is, is simple, man. I mean, you're right in the sense that they do want to try to figure things out, and, and it does seem like they understand how to get there. It's just it takes time, right? It takes time to get there. Time and execution. Yeah. But um, all right, let's talk about Eastern real quick because that's the game on tap. And no, we're I, not tapping trees. Go, I love it. Go back to it. Go um, back to the metaphor. All right, so Eastern Michigan under uh, under Chris Creighton. I mean, man, what what they've done with their program has has been amazing over the years. Really turning things around, and you know, really you know becoming a team that can compete. And you know, yeah, I get it. They're probably not gonna they're not gonna blow you out of the water and pull a, a pull a Western Michigan you know type of thing to the Cotton Bowl or anything, but. The fact of the matter is they're competitive, and, and I think that's you know the biggest thing for their program right now. And, and really, too, I mean, second in the MAC West, but they have not played a, a conference game yet. Um, they beat Coastal Carolina, lost 38-17 to Kentucky, beat Illinois, and that was on the road, too. That, that game against Illinois, and I know Kentucky and Coastal Carolina were on the road, too, but that game against Illinois was on the road, and they won that one uh, 34-31. And, and I'll tell you this much, I mean, Brandon Peters is no slouch at QB. He's a guy that can sling it around, highly recruited out of high school at a system like Illinois. He fits well. But, man, what a win for the Eagles. And, and then they bounce back and come home for the first time and beat Central Connecticut uh, 34-29. And, and what, a, what a thriller that was. If you have a chance, no. if you have a chance, go back and look it up because um, it, was, it was a good one to watch. And really looking at the team and what they feature, um, they, they had a quarterback last year who is more of a, a drop-back passer. He's gone now, but they still have Mike Glass the third a dual-threat guy who can do a little bit of both. And then, obviously, your running back in Shaq Van is is someone that's going to be a threat every time. And I think I mentioned this against Western with Wasink and Bellamy, but, I mean, from a pure – will let's just say this. From a raw talent standpoint, I mean, Glass and Van, I think they could give they could give Wasink and Bellamy a run for the best raw talent type of players in the Mid-American Conference. Granted, Wasink and, and – and Bellamy are seasoned guys. I mean, they're not raw talent. But if you're just speaking on raw talent and you pull the experience out of it, I mean, I do think Glass and, and Van are dangerous, and the things that they can do to you as a you know a lethal one-two punch is is impressive. I guess, like, what are your thoughts on on them coming into the game, and, and what are some of your expectations for for Eastern Michigan and and all that kind of stuff? I I was gonna make another food analogy, but I'll spare everyone from that. What was it? I want to hear it. Uh, seasoned, kind of like a steak. You know, Mike Glass and Shaq Van are kind of like a raw steak. Like, they're they're good, but you obviously you you want to you want to get them prepared a little bit more. You want to get them seasoned, just like Wasink and Bellamy. Could someone right? take over the podcast for me right now? <laughs> See, I told you, I told I told you I was going to spare you from it, but you wanted to hear it anyway. But no, as, as, it's a really good one-two punch. I mean, statistically, Van maybe not having the greatest statistical year he would want uh, for. You know, 33 carries, 111 net yards. But same time, I mean, he's he, he seems like that power guy, kind of like Bellamy, that will just run it right up the gut, like punch you in the gut probably on the way through. Um, Mike Glass can sling it. Um, you got to watch out for the receivers too. Uh, was, was it 
I, Quian, Quian Williams, is that correct pronunciation? Quian Williams? Yeah. 16 catches, 211 yards, three scores. I mean, he's averaging 13.1 yards per catch. That's, it's a first down every time he catches the ball. Yeah, I mean, I mean, really, too, like, let's just take a peek at Van, too. You know, a guy that, that can get the job done when needed, um, you know, but but really, too, the Eastern Michigan team, I mean, they almost seem like they play everybody close. I think that's going to be interesting to see is how is Central Michigan going to be able to close out games, knowing the knowing the fact that they, they do play teams close and they you've seen it, I mean, Listen, I don't, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna break it all down for you, but just go go to their page on ESPN, look at their games, really the last three seasons, and you're gonna see a ton of close ones. I think that's it's gonna be key to see how they they handle that. They've got a pretty good kicker. Uh, I think that's that's always huge, man. When you talk about being able to to kick and kick in the clutch, uh, I mean, there's really no one better than Chad Ryland, maybe Ryan Tice, but uh, you know, nine nine of ten on extra points, and he's four for five on field goals. He's one for one from fifty plus. Um, the only one that he missed was um, one that was in between the 30 and the 39. So besides that, I mean, he's pretty automatic and close, and he has some touch on the deep ball when it comes to, to kicking from from there. Vince Calhoun is a guy that you have to watch for on the defense. He's a defensive back, um, a lockdown guy, a, a lockdown guy nonetheless. And he plays aggressive, and I think that's something that, you know, almost kind of emulates a little bit of what, you know, guys like Sean Bunting and, and Crawford did. And, um, you know, Vince Calhoun is a guy that you could look at being – you know, an actual, like an actual NFL talent type guy. Nobody wants to throw his way. Nobody wants to get him the ball. Um, you know, I can almost guarantee that Central is going to try to stay away from targeting Vince Calhoun just because of the fact that you don't want to test a guy like that. And, and he's a dangerous threat. But I guess early thoughts, too. We don't know a ton yet because we haven't talked to, to McElwain um, in an in-depth situation. But what are kind of your expectations for CMU, and then you know, do you have a prediction on, a, on who's going to win and lose? Well, I, I think you cannot go away from the passing game just because of one stellar defensive back. And I don't know, honestly, I don't know much about the rest of the Eagle defense. Um, so it it's kind of un, it would be, almost be unfair for me to kind of give some expectations um, along that front. Um, for the CMU defense, just needs to go out there and do what it does. I mean, the, the way it played against Miami was was fantastic. The way it played against Western was okay. Um, if you can kind of find a happy medium between Miami and Western, those two performances, I think you're going to be okay against Eastern. Um, maybe get a couple of turnovers, put your offense in some good spots to go and score. Um, right now, right now, at last check, Eastern's a f- what five and a half point favorite. I, I, I do like the Eagles by field goal. Okay. No, that's fair. I mean, I, I got I got Eastern Michigan in this one too, but I think it's going to be real close um, down to the wire, a game that I think Central Michigan can can definitely pull it out and you know do something with. But, you know, with, with Williams and, and Jackson the third and, and, you know, Matthew Sexton, um, first off, Matthew Sexton, got to give him some, some props because, um, you know, he made the game-winning play with a block punt and then, you know, returned at 30 yards for a touchdown in the 34-29 win over uh, over Central Connecticut State. So got to gotta give him some love. But he's still a phenomenal wide receiver, even though he was out there on special teams. I think their wide receivers are good. I think their offense is solid in general. Um, but we'll see if the defense from, from CMU is going to be able to step up. I mean, those guys on the defensive line have gotten better and better every year. I think penalties is going to be huge. They can, you know, cut down on that. Um, that'll, that'll only help. But, 
yeah, I mean, I got the Eagles, and I'll, I'll honestly, man, I'd like to disagree with you on, on score predictions, but I'll take them by a field goal, too, and that's not me playing copycat, all right? I got you. I got you. Yeah, it'll be a close game. It'll, be, it'll definitely be fun to watch. You had a sick look in your eye. I thought you were going to come with another analogy. No, I didn't. No, I promise. No more analogies, at least for this week. All right, well, anyway, enough with football. Let's get on to, uh, to Central Michigan Volleyball and talk a little bit about that. Let's do it. All right, so we're going to bring in someone brand new to the podcast, hasn't been here before, um, and, and he's a rookie. He's a young gun, a young bull, as I was once called in my day. <laughs> um, no, but, but Christian Boer, um, a, a new reporter to our staff, someone that's done phenomenal work so far. If you haven't got a chance to, I mean, really got to go out and, and check out his work. All of our stuff, again, is on cm-life.com, and then his his Twitter handle is C-B-O-O-H-E-R-1322. Shoot him a follow there. Um, he's got a really cool story up. He hung out in the Western Michigan uh, student section. I actually have to ask you, Christian, this is kind of how I'm going to bring you on, is, man, like, what was that experience like? Uh, don't repeat some of the language you heard, but what was, uh, what was the experience like, man? Oh, it was a lot of fun, Evan. You know, I met a lot of cool people. Uh, Western, you know, they may be our rival, but they got some good students over there. Yeah, I think that was kind of the most interesting thing about reading, you know, reading your story is the fact that they do have passion, right? And it's the same kind of passion that you see here at Central. So you can almost respect it, right, in a way. And I think that's neat. But all right. So anyway, obviously, volleyball, we want to talk about. Tell me what you need to know about this Central Michigan team right now, because, I mean, man, they are on an absolute tear. Yeah, absolutely. You know, Evan, they're winners of seven matches in a row. dating. You know, they won the Youngstown Invitational two weekends ago, and then this past weekend they started Mid-American Conference play. Two wins in a row, both on the road against Northern Illinois and then against a good Western Michigan team. Um, so, yeah, seven in, a, seven in a row for them. Uh, they're led by four players who won awards today. Uh, Libero Megan Kern winning Defensive Player of the Year – or Week, sorry. We're not, let's not get ahead of ourselves here. Um, Kendall Bray and Grace Butler winning Co-Setter of the Week, which is – by the way, I talked to Coach Golick today um, – Having two setters instead of one, big advantage for them. It allows them allows them to have an extra attacker up on the front line, which is really hard to defend for opponents. And then Meg Sivertson, who had a huge week, seven blocks against the Western Michigan Broncos. Okay, so you mentioned Megan Curran, right? And you, you, you kind of said player of the year, and then you kind of corrected yourself and said don't get ahead of yourself. But but realistically, though, I mean, is that a possibility for her? Is she one of those players that might be able to come out and – and in, in win an award like that, or, or maybe would it be player of the year? I mean, really looking at her, I mean, how good is she, and, and what's her potential like going into the rest of the season? Oh, Evan, she's real good. you got to watch her play. Four-year starter for the Chippewas at Libero, which is a really, really important position. Uh, coming into this year, all I knew about the Libero position is that they wear the different color jersey. Um, however, having a couple of conversations with Coach Golick, you really learn about what kind of impact a player like that has. She usually has to make that first pass, and then when the opponent comes at you with a hard spike, she's got to come and make that play, make that dig. Christian, what does this team do really, really well that makes it lets it find success that it's been having? they got a really good all-around attack. I mean, you know, I mentioned uh, Brayton Butler, two setters instead of one, like I said. That allows your attack to be that much more effective because that gives you an extra attacker up front on the front line because usually and coach Golick was talking to me a little bit about this today usually you only have two hitters up front when you have your setter on the front row which essentially you're playing at a disadvantage because you have two hitters and they have three blockers 
but when you have that extra center, that gives you another attacker, and then you're playing three-on-three three and you're playing even. Um, in the passing with Kern to Bright and then attackers like Kalina Smith and Meg Syvertson and even Maddie Whitfield, who's coming back from an injury this week. What about off off the court? I've, I've heard some stuff that this team gets along really, really well off the court, and I think that kind of – does that kind of play in? Hey, now don't tease too much, all right? We don't, we don't want to tell people too much, but don't, no. Don't but, tell us too much. Because you, you're going to have to check out the story when it comes out. But, um, but no, Christian, I mean, tell us a little bit about what they do, though, and, and maybe just briefly touch on, touch on some things. Yeah, you know, Coach Golick, a really great guy. He's got a really good system going on. He develops these players not only as athletes but as individuals, and he's got a system that my buddy Andy Loveland's going to write about in an article called Adulting 101, and I'm not going to spoil it because he's going to have a really good article for you, but you're going to want to look for that. All right, man, Christian, the insight is unbelievable. Wrapping it up, man, you know, what's coming up on the schedule for the Chippewas, and I guess, you know, do you want to leave us with any, any parting notes, anything that we should, uh, we, should, we should take note of? Well, Evan, Thursday night they're going to hit the road against Eastern Michigan, um, kind of like a precursor for the rivalry game Saturday in football. And then Saturday night's a big one for the Chippewas. They're coming home. It's been almost a month since they've played at McGurick last, uh, but you're getting in free with your football ticket stub. Students get in free anyway, but general admission to anybody who brings their football ticket stub to the game. So if you're in the area and you plan on sticking around, check it out. For sure, man. And, and listen, it's been a good episode of Moon and Bold, bringing on, you know, Christian and then obviously, you know, the usual Evan and Austin, Mr. Analogy. Gotta love it. Gotta love it. But, um, but all right, yeah, man. I mean, that's going to do it for, uh, for this week's episode of Moon and Bold. Stick with us at cm-life.com for all of our written content and make sure to tune in next week.